I'm going to extract from one verse tonight, if we can, from our Focus 52, Job chapter 13 and verse number 15. Job chapter 13 and verse number 15. And if you're there, let the saints say amen. amen. Job chapter 13 and verse 15, very familiar. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. But I will maintain my own ways before him. Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. But I will maintain my own ways before him. You may be seated in Jesus' name tonight. I want to talk to you from one word, if I can. It's kind of the conjunction that joins all of this together. And uh, I don't know how much of a title it really is. But it's, it's kind of where we're living tonight. I want to teach to you from this one word, yet. Yet. He said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. It's a difficult place to be when you're dealing with conjunctions in the scripture. It's a tough time when you're dealing with conjunctions in your walk with God. As a matter of fact, it's some of these small little three-letter words, these small little conjunctions that keep people from doing the will of God in their lives. It keep them from doing great things for God. There's one little conjunction that's quite interesting. I hear it very often. It's not yet, it's but. They say, I would like to do something for God, but. I would... Do this, but. And it's like there's always something that's connecting. And I know this may sound funny tonight, and I don't mean this to sound at all like uh, strange or awkward. But I tell you that I have found that faith uh, usually comes in a yet. Not so much in the conjunction of B-U-T. Because but is usually making an excuse for why I can't. And yet is usually saying in spite of, I will. And that's a tough place to be. Chapter 13 of Job, it's, it, it really appears like Job just takes a deep breath and he changes his line of thinking. He puts on hold wrestling with God's nature and he really, in this chapter, he returns to thinking and considering himself and who he is before God. And especially, he considers his relationship with his three friends. Now, these friends are interesting characters that are kind of weaved in and out. Like, uh, this story becomes more and more interesting because of the friends. Now, I'm just going to tell you that I've never met those men in particular, but I feel like I know their family. There's always going to be people in your life that can give you an excuse of why you should quit. There's always going to be people in your life that can tell you why you cannot succeed. But I feel that even if you have a friend that's encouraging to you, I have never found any amount of encouragement that makes up the mind of a believer. Because I've seen people make up their mind in the midst of encouragement. And I've seen people make up their mind in the midst of discouragement. I've seen people that had a prevailing spirit when nobody believed in them. And they went on and did just fine. And I've seen people... Surrounded by all kinds of encouragement, but there was no amount of encouragement that was enough to keep them in the race. This is a place that's easy for us to get into because, honestly, it is a fact that misery loves company. I don't know the origin of that statement, but I tell you, I believe it could have been derived from the book of Job. Because misery loves company. There's always people that want to sit down with you and tell you how bad it is. You know, I, I know birds of a feather flock together. And that's why sometimes you just got to move to a different flock. 
If you feel like the people you're around are always draining you, they're always draining your emotional energy, and they're always draining your faith, and they're always draining your belief system, it's time to find a different flock. Because you're never going to fly with birds that are always trying to bring you down. And Job is analyzing all of that in his mind. And so if you've read the 13th chapter, you can tell that he feels pretty emphatic about his feelings towards his friends because he tells them they are worthless physicians. He said, you're worthless people. And now, I know this sounds ugly because in our society, when if I looked at you and said you're worthless, that's not a nice thing to say. But Job was saying this in a literal way. These are worthless physicians. What's, what does that mean? It means they will never bring me healing. I will never be healed in what I'm going through because of somebody who doesn't believe that God is able. I will never be healed by somebody that's always speaking doubt and negativity. I will never find healing with somebody that's always a negative influence in my life. Woo. I don't know tonight if I'm hurting the influencer or the influenced. He said, you are worthless Physicians, he described what he considered their deceitful and partial understanding of God as well as his own situation. He said, you really don't even understand God. You don't understand where I'm really at. I'm, I'm not where you think I'm at. Your opinion of where I'm at is not really where I am. And so many of us, now I want to give somebody some liberation right here. I'm not even really teaching or preaching yet. I'm just kind of leading into this thing. But I'm about to liberate somebody right now and tell you, you don't have to live where everybody else thinks you are. You can free yourself from the opinions of people and rise above where everybody else thinks you should be and everybody else thinks you are. And find somebody that's got an understanding of how good God's been in your life and say, that's what I'm going to yoke myself up. I'm not going to live where you think I am. So you really kind of feel like, and, and I, can kind of, I can kind of preach this because it preaches itself. It's almost like Job feels like his friends would have been by far more helpful to him if they would have just stayed quiet. Now, I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hands, but have you ever felt that way? Somebody would have been a greater blessing in your life if they just wouldn't have said anything. So let me teach to that part right there. If they do say something that's not right, understand it's not the end of the world for you. If you're that person that's wanting to say that, there is a really, really neat thing that happens in your life. Now, this is, this is cool. I figured this out a long time ago. Just because it crosses my mind doesn't mean it has to come out my mouth. Now, that's some pretty good preaching right there. It's a neat thing that happens. It is the power of restraint. It is self-discipline. Um, somebody asked me the other day. I don't even remember who it was in the conversation. They were talking about something going on and I just said I'm not going to say what I really think about that and they were like well why not it matters and I'm like well it matters but it's not going to be helpful and sometimes the easiest thing for you to do is to just spit out something that comes to your mind and it just it's, it, it's strange how this works because once it leaves those little pearly white gates there's no way to ever reel it back in. And sometimes self-control in your life may be the difference in some, helping somebody else come through or stay put. Now ultimately you can't be their excuse, but I'm telling you tonight that self-restraint is a powerful tool in the kingdom of God. And I want to tell you why. I'm going to go a little deeper in this. You've heard me teach and preach in the order of angels before, and I'm not going to stay here long 
But I want to tell you why self-restraint really matters. It's because when you pray one thing with your mouth and you say another thing with your mouth, it causes confusion with angels. When you walk into a prayer meeting and you begin to declare what you believe is the will of God and you say, I believe, God, that you are more than able and you're more than willing to work on this and you're, you're able to fix this. Uh, for instance, let's just use a good one. This one's easy to use. If you're praying for a family member that's lost without God, backslidden, whatever, and you go to prayer and you say, Lord, I know you're going to deal with them today. I know you're going to touch them today. I know you're going to reach my daughter. I know you're going to reach my son. I know you're going to reach my mother. And you start giving God praise for it. And then you walk out of there and your phone rings and it's your cousin or your sister or somebody else that's talking about the person you were just praying about. And you just told God that he was able to do it. And then you talk on the phone and you say, what's wrong with that idiot? Are they ever going to get it together? I don't think they ever will. You say in that prayer meeting, God, I know you're going to help them get their life on track. And you get on that phone and you say, what is wrong with them? And angels get confused. Because while we're in prayer, angels are taking the word of God that came from your mouth to the will of God, to the throne of God. And then the Lord sends those angels back down to say, go see if they really believe what they've been praying and when the angels come back down into the first dimension in this earth and they hear your contradictory language to what they just took back before the throne of God, their next trip back before his throne says they're really not ready for that. And some of us are missing our breakthrough because of our contradictory language. If we have made the statements in faith, in prayer, that God is able, then we need to continue that statement of faith when we get out of that prayer closet and continue to believe and even if it doesn't come to pass, we've got to be able to refrain from saying contradictory things to what we believe is the will of God. And you've got to answer the question in your mind, is that the will of God or is it not? Woo! It's a tough place. But Job felt like that his friends would have been better if they would have just been quiet. So Job is kind of in this strange place in the 13th chapter, in this division of the book. And he begins this extended prayer that really expresses his anguish over his relationship with God. And you can tell that it's marked by the closeness of fear in his voice as he speaks. It's like you can tell that there's this trust in God, but there's this fear that it may not be the way he wants it to turn out. And so as he's praying, you can tell that in his current state, it's like he's somewhat confused about what he thought at one time he was perfectly clear on. Why are you teaching this, Pastor? Because I believe that there are people in this room that have walked that very road. You were at one time very clear and emphatic about where you were with God and you were positive that it was going to be all right and then comes one more storm. And you begin to question what you believed at one time and now confusion begins to creep in. And once confusion gets there, it doesn't take very long until a little spirit of discouragement comes right up next to confusion. And once you're discouraged... That confusion plays ping pong in your brain. Anybody else in here have ping pong matches in your head? You know what happened in the Bible? He said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. It's that excruciating mental game that goes on that while the sun is shining and it's daytime, it's all good and you're moving just all right and everything's okay and you get an encouraging call and you're like, it got good. Then you lay your head down on your pillow at night and you're like there it is again and most of the time that confusion and discouragement comes when you're all by yourself and that's why it's important for you to not spend extended periods of time without the body of Christ because we need to be together in the house of the Lord we need to be in this place with a voice of encouragement listen I haven't come with bad news for anybody in this house tonight I've came 
with an encouraging word for somebody to tell you you're going to make it through this. On the other side of this, there's not going to be confusion and doubt. You're going to see clearly once a storm has passed. Now the power of connecting with Job is that his relationship with God was really no different than yours or mine. He was living the experience of what we know as the ebb and the flow of life. I've had seasons in my life where, to be quite honest with you, I have made statements like, it couldn't get any better. And then I've had seasons in my life where I make statements that feel all too honest when I say, can it get any worse? It's like those seasons of pain. They're excruciating. It's dark. It's a tough place to be. And I want to tell you tonight something that I believe with all my heart. Can I just slow down right here and teach to somebody and help somebody break through something tonight? I want to tell you that sometimes when it comes to our relationship with God and our perspective of who God really is, listen to pastor when I tell you that we very rarely leave much room for reality in our theology. We very rarely leave enough room for reality in our understanding of who God is. We're all aware of the miraculous manifestations, the magnificent things that God is capable of doing. I sat at the table this morning with a pastor friend of mine, Brother Adam Hill, and for probably the better part of 45 minutes to an hour, the only thing we talked about was miracles that we had seen God do. We started reflecting on miracles from the days of our childhood and people we grew up with and people that we saw God heal. He was telling me the story of a preacher that he knew that his heart was failing him, fairly young man. His heart was failing him, and the doctor said, there's absolutely no hope for you whatsoever. And he said that this man was getting ready to resign his church because his health was failing. And he was laying in the floor that had a little uh, area behind the baptistry of the church, apparently. And he was just laying in the floor behind the baptistry of the church. And he said, "I, I had no strength at all. I couldn't even get up. I just laying there on the floor. And he said, all of a sudden, an angel appeared to me and came before me. And he said, in his hands, on like this beautiful platter kind of thing, he said, there was the most beautifully wrapped gift that had a bow on it. And he said, that angel came to me and took his hands open, just like that, and inserted it into my chest. And he said, immediately, I stood up on my feet and had strength and went to the doctor. And the doctor said, sir, I don't know what's happened But you have a brand new heart in you. God is a miracle working God. We talked about the story of his grandpa Hill that had been hit by a freight train, broke every bone in his body and The doctor was so explicit with his report that he said to him, he said, Mr. Hill, if we cut the top of your head off, if we cut your head off, we could pour you out. He said, every bone in your body is crushed, it's broken. And they said, we don't know what else to tell you, but we're going to put you in a full body cast. And told his grandmother, said, he's going to be a vegetable the rest of his life. He'll probably never walk again. He went home from the hospital and he's sitting in their house. In a full body cast, his job had let him go because there was a, I mean, he was never going to work again. He was going to be a vegetable for the rest of his life. And they reached over and turned on the radio. And when they turned on the radio, there was an announcement coming on about an apostolic church that was having a tent revival in town. And he told his wife, he said, put me in the car and get me down there to that church. And she said, I can't get you in the car. We're going to have to get some people to come get you. He said, get me in that car and get me to the house of the Lord. And she picked him up under his arms and drug him through the house. He was screaming the whole way and crying because of the pain in that full body cast. And she got him in the car 
and took him to the house of the Lord. And in that service, he, he was seated on the back row of the church, from what I understand, of the tent or whatever it was in that meeting. And as he sat down, he said, after a while, faith was kind of moving in the church. And he said he began to audibly hear pop, 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 pop. And he said, I could feel it as I heard the pops of my bones coming together. And he said, I, he said, I looked at, at my wife and said, go get somebody to get this cast off of me. And she said, no, no, we can't do that. He said, I'm telling you that the Lord just touched me. And they came and took the cast off of him. And he stood up and began to dance and shout through the house of the Lord that night. I'm telling you that God is a miracle working God. shared the story many times through the years but there may be many here tonight that have never heard the story of me at four years old being born with a, uh, a caved in concave sternum and they were going to have to do open uh, chest surgery on me because my chest would not expand right and so the only answer was literally to saw my sternum in half, put a plate in and uh, put me back together and then over time as I grew I would have to do that surgery over and over and my mom and dad and my grandparents and this church kept praying and believing the Lord. And one night, in the middle of the night, I was four years old, but I remember it like it was yesterday. I could take you to the little house on Alliance Road where it happened when I woke up in the night and I looked. And there standing in the doorway of my bedroom was a man that looked just like what I would have imagined Jesus Christ to look like. And he came to my bed and he sat down on my bed and laid down and disappeared and took his hand. And I felt him gently push my chest out. He sat up the same way that he laid down, walked out of my room and turned to the left and went to the living room. And I rolled over and went back to sleep. The next morning I walked in and I told my mother in the living room laying on the sofa. I said, Mom, Jesus came in my room last night. And she said, what are you talking about, son? And I pulled my shirt up. I said, Jesus came in and healed me last night. And since that day, I have been perfectly healed and whole with no problems whatsoever to speak of. So I know that God is a healer. We can tell accounts that we have heard and accounts that we know and accounts that we have read and we rejoice when God heals and we rejoice when God raises up. We rejoice when the testimonies are given, yet we often fail to take into account the way that grief and fear and illness and exhaustion and other aspects of life make us feel when there's nobody around to testify and our reality seems like it's closing in on us and we've got this image of God that he's going to fix everything and he's going to heal everybody and everything's going to go away and there's not going to be any trouble and there's no room in our theology for reality. I could preach to you tonight for probably hours about the miracles that I've seen God do. And I don't want this to sound discouraging or counterproductive, but I need you to stay with me. I could also stand here for probably the same amount of time and tell you in my lifetime the times that I was disappointed when I asked God to and he didn't. these often chaotic and out of control seasons in our lives that have huge impact on our capacity to sense just how loving God really is toward us. God, if you're real, why am I going through this? If you're real, why am I experiencing this? I've heard pastor preach about miracles, but why am I not getting my miracle? And this is a tough, tough place to be. It raises weird questions in our minds that we never dreamed we would ask. Because when we came to the Lord, we were told how much he cared for us and what a difference he'd make in our lives and that you would know love like you've never known before. But now we're in a season of life. It's like this crazy season that we just never imagined that we would be in. And it makes us ask questions like, does he still care? Does God really love me now like they told me he loved me then? And so our theology starts getting out of whack because our reality is so messed up.
But I want to tell somebody tonight in the Holy Ghost that it's the seasons of storm that are the most difficult times and perhaps the silliest time in your life to start making permanent decisions based on temporary circumstances. If you judge the character of God by the size of the waves that are crashing in to your vessel, then your reality is going to by far outweigh your theology. But in the lives of these disciples that were in the storm that night while Jesus was sleeping, they were weighing God's power by the weight of their fear and not the word that the Lord gave them when they stepped on the boat. He said, let us go to the other side. The weight of his power rested in the word that he had given them, not in the storm that they were facing. And sometimes you've got to remind yourself that the reality is there are waves. The reality is you feel like you're sinking. But the facts are that he is still on the vessel and that he's still in control and that he said you were going to make it and that he said you were going to cross over. I know you don't feel like you're winning, but I want to remind you that God is still good. I want to get into what Job's reality looked like because sometimes... There's a little bit of drama queen in all of us. And we kind of, now I know nobody else does this in here but me, okay? So I'll just take the pressure off of you. That when it's happening in my life, it's the worst that it's ever been. Like nobody has ever stubbed their toe like I stubbed mine. You understand what I'm saying? Like nobody's ever had a headache like my headache. That's how we are. It's how we live. It's like if it's in our kingdom... It's the worst, especially if you're a man. So go ahead, ladies. I I see you. You know, he's got a headache, so he gets a blanket and NyQuil and lays in bed for eight days. But I've had seasons in my life where perhaps I was sick. I know back in July when all this came through... uh, I can tell you, honest before the Lord, that I never actually had the real fear with cuss word 19 that I was dying. Like, I I never actually thought, like, for real, in my reality, I'm dying. But I felt like I was very sick. And so I would say things like, I feel like I'm dying. But I didn't really think I was going to kick the bucket and so it's an interesting thing when your reality has obfuscated your image of who he is I mean who hasn't got food poisoned and said that's the worst I've ever been sick and you're laying before the porcelain throne and you're just like I'll never do that never eat that again And so then when you tell the story, like you you puke twice and you tell the story, you're like, oh, God, I got the worst food poisoning that I've ever had. Well, usually the last one you got was the worst one you've ever had. Now, if she's watching, I'm in trouble. She probably is. But I don't ever really know how sick my wife is. Because when my wife gets sick, she loses all. All power in her extremities. And I've walked in many times and just found her curled up in front of the toilet on the floor. And I'm like, honey, are you dying? And I think she thinks maybe she is. And she's fine the next day or whatever. She's a pretty tough old bird. She had me kind of worried when we were dating the first time I ever saw her sick. I thought she was a pretty healthy girl. I walked into her apartment and something had made her sick. And I I walk in and she's just literally piled up in the floor, in the bathroom. I'm like, oh my God, what in the world am I going to do? And she she was 
she ended up just finding. She'll tell you that that's, that's just kind of the way that she is. But when she had children, man, she's like a bull. I mean, she just took care of business. And we were out there. She had Lauren. We went home the next day. I'm like, dear God, what is this woman that I'm married to? I'm talking about like tough as nails. But when it's happening in your world, it feels like it's the end of the world. And Job said something that I don't want to make light of what he was going through. I know we're kind of laughing here a little bit. So I don't want to make light of what Job was going through. But he makes a statement that couldn't have been further from reality. And it was our text tonight. He said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Quick question for you, Job. How does a dead man trust God? Did anybody read in the story that the Lord slew Job? Does anybody read that? I mean, the joker was slain out and God smote him on the head and he, it was done. No? So what was he saying? I feel like I'm dying. This is so real to me right now that I feel like God is trying to kill me. He was not saying that God is literally killing me. He said, though he slay me, like because this feels like the end of the road. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. So the best way that we can break this verse down is to say that even if this was the end for me, I'm not going to quit believing until I take my last breath. Job was not saying that I'm for real at the point of death. He was saying that if God chooses that this is the end of my journey, let it be said that on the way out the door, I kept on trusting him. So if Job didn't die, then what did die? He slain me. Something was slain. What was slain? It was his will to give up. Job had to kill the ambition to give up in order to gain the ambition to keep fighting no matter what it cost him and to give himself completely to the thought and the idea that stopping my trust for God is not even an option to put on the table. This is a decision that has to be made. And we see by the story of Job that when Lucifer came before the throne of heaven and the counsel of God, that this decision was already made. Before Job ever went in, he had determined in his heart that he was going to trust the Lord. And in the middle of the trial, that same trust was heard in his voice, even though he felt like he was at the end of his rope. He said, my desire to throw in the towel has gone out the window. And my desire is to trust him until it's over or until God is through with me. Though he slay me, yet. Somebody say yet. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. We'll spend just a little bit of time here because this kind of rocked my world when I was preparing for this lesson. Hebrews 10 and 23, let us hold fast to the profession or the confession of our faith. Now this one's easy to preach, it's hard to live. Without wavering. This means that the Lord expects the same thing of a New Testament believer that he did of Job in the Old Testament. Hold fast without wavering. Hold fast. To what you have confessed with your mouth. This is what pastor was teaching. You can look at that word profession. It's the same word as confess or what I speak out of my mouth. He said what you're saying in faith. You got to keep on believing it. Hold fast to what you've said in faith. And don't waver on it. Because God is faithful. How many of you know if God promises that you can take it to the bank? Now, this is crazy, y'all. I don't even know how to, how to do this. I'm just going to have to do it in a hurry. But I, this, is, this is unbelievable. It blew my mind. So the scripture said, let us hold fast. Okay? 
To hold fast simply means to hold down, literally or figuratively, to, to hold down in various applications, to just hold the line, toe the line and keep it down. But in Thayer's definition, this blew my mind because the root of the word, I hope you all are listening real, real close right now, because he talks about to keep it from going away, to restrain, to hinder, to keep it from getting off track. And this was so unbelievable in the root. It said, that which hinders Antichrist from making his appearance. When he said, hold fast. It was such a strong word. Such strong power in that Greek language. That it's really hard to convey. He said, there is so much power. In somebody that knows how to hold on like this. That it is powerful enough to keep the Antichrist from showing his face. I want you to think about what I'm telling you right now. We are living in a time where your faith is going to be tested. But what did the Lord say to Simon Peter? He said, Simon, he said, the enemy of your soul has desired to sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith would fail you not. He said it's your faith that's going to keep that spirit of Antichrist from sifting you like wheat. In the end time, while some are worried about the Antichrist and who he's going to be and what he's going to do, we got to get our eyes off the Antichrist and get our eyes on the Christ and say, whatever I've got to do, I will hold fast. Somebody shout amen. amen. So, let me hurry. The ride here that we're on doesn't become character building until we come to the place that we truly realize even if we're in a place we don't like it just might be the will of God Woo. because the will of God is not always deliverance the will of God is wrapped up in a word called yet. Regardless of what comes my way yet, I'll be faithful. I was sitting at home today and I was just thinking about scripture. I was just thinking about different words in the scripture and, and how that it works. And I was just imagining that moment standing before the Lord. When he says to me, I can't wait to hear it. When he says to me, enter in. Thou good and faithful servant. And that word faithful came alive to me today. Faithful. Faithful means yet I'll trust him. You're not faithful if you give up every time you're discouraged. He didn't say enter in that good and discouraged servant. He said, enter in, thou good and faithful servant. Somebody, somewhere, somehow is going to overcome and you're going to make it and you're going to enter in and you're going to hear his words that you've been faithful and because you've been faithful, welcome. But there's another three-letter word that I don't like. I like it in certain cases. I like it when it arrives. That word is end. I don't like it when it's doing, uh, dealing with enduring. Because in Mark 13, 13, he said, You shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that shall endure unto the end. I don't like that word here. Because you're not at the end yet. But someday it's going to be your favorite word. Because you're going to cross the finish line and you're going to have made it to the end. But the Lord said, you've got to endure. Now this right here is powerful 
How many of you know there's a difference in getting saved and staying saved? So somebody said, well, if I miss the rapture and then the Antichrist is loosed and I don't take the mark, will I be saved? That's a risk that I'm not willing to take. And this scripture does not say that I'm going to be saved just because I endured. You're going to have to understand tonight, church, that just because you got saved doesn't mean that you stay saved just because you say you love Jesus to the end. He said you're going to have to endure and stay saved. The same shall be saved that endures to the end. You don't just get saved. You got to stay saved. And you got to endure to the end if you're going to stay saved. Language of enduring is difficult. It sounds good when we talk about Paul. But it's awful when you talk about you. Because you're going to have to endure some things. In this life, one of the biggest things you're going to endure, James said in 1 and 12, is temptation. This might make you a little uneasy right now. But temptation is a tough place to be. Blessed is the man... That endureth temptation. What's that mean? It means he outlived it. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any Man, this messes with some people's theology. God tempted me like that to see if I'd stand. No, he didn't. If he did, then his word's not true. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived... It bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Verse 16 is powerful. He said, do not err, my beloved brethren. In other words, don't get off track. Get a yet in your spirit. This says, oh yes, I was tempted, yet I stayed faithful. To the call of the Lord in my life. I don't know who I'm preaching to tonight. But I've come to lift somebody up with a word of encouragement. And tell you to just endure. Just keep hanging on. Just keep pushing. Just keep being faithful. I'm hurrying, I'm hurrying, I'm hurrying. John 3, 6. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. But Matthew 26 and 41 records a very powerful truth that cannot be overlooked. The flesh is weak. How many of you believe that? Anybody in here got flesh that's stronger than temptation? I don't. That's why I have to overcome my flesh by the power of the spirit of God if I'm going to make it through temptation it's not going to be because I flex on temptation and let temptation know how strong I am at some point you got to bow up in your spirit and say greater is he that's it's he that's within me it's he that's working inside of me it's he that is enabling me it's him that's giving me power because the spirit it's willing and the flesh, it is weak. But I'm not going to endure in my spirit. I've got to endure in my flesh. That's why I've got to keep my spirit healthy so that my spirit and God's spirit can help me feed my flesh. And when my flesh gets weak, I let the Holy Ghost strengthen my flesh. And I'm going to make it. And that's why Job said, in my flesh, I shall see God. 
understand the context of this statement when I tell you tonight, and I really hope I don't mess y'all up with this, but it's not the super spiritual people that walk around talking in tongues all day, every day that's going to make it. It's the people that have lived a real life that's not an Instagram reality. It's the real reality. And they lived through it. And they kept on believing. And they kept on pushing. And their relationships were not based on the fantasy world of social media. I feel sorry for some people. Because they really want you to believe that their life is as perfect as they portray it to be. But I feel bad for what happens when their camera goes off and they're by themselves. Listen to what pastor's telling you tonight. Your reality is not what you portray to people. Your reality is who you are. When you're faced with the predicament that Job was in. And you feel like you're about to die. And you feel like you've gone as far as you can go. I want to know tonight, do you have a yet in your spirit This says no matter what I go through, no matter how far it goes, no matter how long I have to live through it, I know the end is coming someday. And no matter what happens to me, yet will I trust him. Who is it that's going to make it? It's going to be the man or the woman that denied their flesh and took up their cross and followed him. We're going to deny ourselves if we're going to make it to heaven. Let's stand tonight. The power of salvation is that we are not saved by works. We are saved by grace through faith. But it will be works that keep me saved. I thank God that I've been baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. I'm going to tell you something tonight, and please don't run off with this and misconstrue what I'm saying to you, but I'm just telling you that your baptism means nothing When you're standing in what feels like the pits of hell on earth. And you don't have any answers. Standing by a hospital bed. Standing in a courtroom. Standing wherever you're standing. And you're like, oh, I've been baptized. But you don't feel like baptism. That's how you got saved. You got to get something in you right then that says, I'm going to stay saved. And if God answers this prayer and raises them up, then I give God the praise for it. If he doesn't. Yet. I feel like this is one of the toughest words that I've had to live with in my life yet. Because I've walked away from prayers believing that God could. And when it didn't look like he was going to, I just had to say, God, I wish you would have. But I'm not going to stop trusting. I'm not going to walk away from my faith because I didn't get the answer I wanted. I feel like getting caught up in your right now is really the only thing that can keep you from understanding it better by and by. Because when your right now becomes more powerful than your by and by, yet goes out the window. And you start interjecting things like if, when, how, and it changes. But for those tonight that will make up their mind, regardless of what I go through, yet I will keep my faith in you. The story was told as I closed tonight. It's a song that my mom and I and my sister Jody used to sing together quite often here in this church. I think the last time we sang it together was probably in the old sanctuary. It was written by Brother McFall, Brother James McFall. The song says, I still trust you, Lord. Uh, It goes through some beautiful things. I'll spare you the time, but it's an incredible song. I still trust you, Lord. And... When I heard the story of how Brother McFall wrote the song, it made the song that much more special to us. He'd gone fishing one day with a a preacher friend of his, and his family had lost their lives in an automobile accident. It was a very tragic deal. 
Brother McFall said that this brother was telling the story and the tragedy and how awful it was. And he was standing on the front of the boat. They'd been fishing. He said tears were streaming down his face. It was just a, a, a terrible season that he was sharing his heart. Brother McFall said, as I sat there and watched that man share the story and his grief just spilled out of him. He said the grief was horrible. He said, but all of a sudden, he slipped both hands up in the air and tears dripping off of his face. He slipped both hands up in the air, looked up into the heavens, and he said, but Brother McFall, I still trust him. Brother McFall sat down with a pen and said, I've seen the righteous man suffer of pain when it looked like the wicked would go free. And in my frustration, it just didn't seem right to me. I asked you for sunshine, but you sent rain. I cried for healing, and I only got pain. But I know your love will see me through. Lord, I still trust you. I just want to know tonight, by the raising of the hand in this house, is there anybody that determined in your heart a long time ago, whatever it cost you, yet you're going to trust him? Is there anybody here tonight that made up your mind you're going to make it to the end? God, you see this precious assembly gathered here tonight. I thank you for this church. I thank you, God, for the sincerity in the hearts of these precious people. Lord, I've watched some of these folks walk long miles. I've seen them walk dark days, Lord. And they've kept on trusting you and kept on believing. And I thank you tonight that you have put me in the presence of such great people of God who have made up in their minds that this too shall pass and that this season will pass. And Lord, whatever they have to do to hang on, they're going to hang on. Yet will they trust you. I plead the blood of Jesus over every man, woman, child under the sound of my voice tonight. And I ask God that you would become their reality. That you would become more real to them than you have ever been. I pray for those, Lord, that have come through seasons of darkness that you would be a light to them. I pray, God, for those that will go through seasons of darkness that we don't yet foreknow. And I pray, Lord, that you would keep your hand on them. I pray that their faith would fail them not tonight. I pray that as we leave this house, Lord, your hand would rest upon us mightily. That your angels would protect us and keep us until our appointed time to be together again. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Let the church say amen. Amen. Lord, bless you tonight. Tomorrow night, we're going to give you Thursday night off from prayer meeting. uh, Because most of us are gone. So uh, that would leave just a, a few here. So... Uh, tomorrow night, be in prayer in your homes, be together in prayer, and uh, we love you and appreciate you. We'll be back together Sunday morning. Lord bless you, be dismissed.